Welcome to the Close Quarter Dad podcast, discussions about raising your kids with confidence, safety, and resilience. I'm your host, Adam Mitchell, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey there, I want to welcome you back to the second episode of Point of No Return, brought to you by Close Quarter Dad. Um, today I have a, a, a guest on who's not just a close friend, but someone who speaks from a lot of authority on these topics, um, both as a career law enforcement officer and one of the um, one of the hardest communities in the country, I would imagine. I'm going to have him more speak more on that and the work that he did as an officer, uh, as a lieutenant. Correct, John? Uh, yeah, for part yeah, of my career. Um, <laughs> We could talk about the earlier career because those were the good stories come out. But <laughs> well, th- I'll leave that up to you. Um, but also uh, someone who's a father of two uh, wonderful kids uh, who have who are adults now. Um, but he understands the situations and the concerns that this audience has and will be able to speak to it. So I want to welcome uh, John McGee to the second episode of Point of No Return, Close Quarter Dad. John, welcome. Thank you. Um, John, before we get started, just so uh, any of the listeners can come to, you know, understand the contextualize your background and a little bit of your history. I was wondering if you'd be able to share, uh, you know, just for a minute or two, uh, um, what it was that you did uh, in law enforcement. Okay. Um, Well, I was a cop from 1986 to 2006. Uh, Started off in the subway system back when there was a transit police department which was separate from the NYPD they got absorbed in 92 uh, or 93 I trans I was a cop in Harlem riding the subways pretty much at night and uh, and then uh, right before the transfer I, I became an NYPD cop right before the uh, the merge I became a NYPD cop and I worked uh, in Central Bronx then I made boss, and I worked uh, in Central Bronx, and then I, I made boss again, and I worked down in uh, Hunts Point, uh, Fort Apache, and finished my uh, my career out in uh, the narcotics division, chasing drug dealers all over the Bronx. And that's about it in a nutshell. That's about it in a nutshell. You know, I've, I've, I've listened to a lot of the stories over the years, John, and some of the ones that really stand out, uh, and I'm not going to get into too, too deep into it because I don't know how much of this is sensitive, but I think, you know, we're of a generation where, uh, and, and you being just a year or two older than me, can recall a different subway system than now. Uh, and I'm sure that when you reflect on the, uh, the demands, uh, the, 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 whether it's the city demands, whether it's society as a whole or, or how our culture has changed, how law enforcement is uh, is perceived and and what the um, what the expectations of law enforcement not now are at the street level, let alone like the subway level. Uh, it's got to be. Uh, it was a very very different time, and one of the things that I recall from the stories you telling me was that you know you look at cops today and they've got the body cam and they can only do very, they're very very restricted in the work that they do and how they engage. Uh, what those rules are and how, like, how so specific it is. Sometimes it just makes better sense to sit in the car. But your stories, 
you know, you're telling me one day you'd come back from a beat and it's like, you know, you're taking this out of your sock and you got this and you got that. <laughs> you're like, it's kind of like, uh, if you've seen, if, if anybody's seen the warriors, every time I've, I'd hear John's stories, I would think of the scenes from the warriors, you know, come out and play. And it's kind of like, that's, that's what I imagined your, the work that you started in law enforcement to be. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's kind of the New York that I envisioned that you were working in. Yeah, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the burnt down seventies like the Bronx is burning, right. but it was the I, I, it was it crack it hit, and so it was crazy. Yeah. It was it was the Wild West, and uh, you know you had the you had the big the big gangs you know, um, out in Brooklyn that were uh, murdering cops that were just sitting in their cars and stuff. It was. Uh, you know, it wasn't the '60s with black over the the BLA, you know, targeting cops, but it was it was it was crazy. Yeah. You know, it, it it was intense sometimes. Now, were you there for uh, Fort Apache? Was it? No, Fort Apache. Was, that was the know, '70s. When I got there, we called it Little House on the Prairie compared to what it yeah. was. You know, they called it Fort Apache because across from the original building, the uh, occupants of the uh, housing project would shoot. Arrows at the cops, you know, and they would stick, they would stick into the front door. The front door of the precincts always would, so that's why they got the nickname for the That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> but what I will say is that I had the crazy '80s, and then I was present for the rebirth of New York in the '90s, and when you know certain individuals took over the mayoral ship and allowed cops to do their jobs, and then all of a sudden, you know, that was a shift to crime, the Dinkins you know, administration, right? Right. Well. Dinkins last year was 2,200 plus murders. That's six murders a, a yeah. day. Every day, six murders. And now there's less than 600 yeah. a year, which is only two a day. Yeah. So there's a, that's a drastic, you know, uh, that's, that's the bellwether. So, and now I'm watching it go back. It's pretty sad. Yeah, I was on a, uh, I was interviewed on a podcast a couple days ago, and it was a pretty libertarian podcast. And, um, you know, I was happy to step into the discussion about, you know, just sort of, I want to stay in the lane of working with children and helping parents to work with children. But the, um, the host of the podcast had asked me specifically about the crime rates in uh, New York. And that's not really my wheelhouse, but I did look into it a little bit to help him out. And there has been a significant decline in crime since 93 as a as a whole but since oh it's massive it can huge decline and and people are like oh crime is on the rise crime is on the rise but in the last two years like armed robberies and and you know crimes like that they've gone up 59 to 70 percent which is insane over the last two years inside of new york city so um takes one bad mayor takes one bad mayor yeah That's it. yeah all right, John. Well, um, thanks for sharing all that. Uh, also, you've got two super successful kids. And, uh, you know, I just want to tip my hat to you for that, for um, being in that line of work. And, um, you know, I can imagine all the stress that comes with it, but still being able to, you know, hold a marriage together and, and uh, raise two um, highly achieving young adults. Uh, you know, you're done right. So whatever, whatever you were feeding well, them or whatever. It, it starts off with marrying a good woman. <laughs> Well timed. She's right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, I want to jump into uh, the um, the video for today, and I want you to see. I want you to first tell us what you see when we get it started. 
and um, then I want to break it down and, and and share with you what what you what we're looking at. What's interesting about this video and this time that we're going to spend here together is that you haven't seen this, have you? You don't know what you're about to see. Um, so no. that's a kind of an interesting thing for me because oftentimes when we step into escalation, uh, we may be at, at certain areas or I'm sure in your line of work, you usually arrived after the scene. It wasn't too often that you showed up at that point of no return or at the, at the moment that something was going down. It would always be in like the kind of the post-conflict. I'm sure you have your own terminology for that, but uh, after the incident had happened. So you're dealing with de-escalation, you're dealing with emotions, you're dealing with a lot of um, trying to determine like what happened here. But here you're actually watching it as it's going down. So this really interests me to get um, your, your viewpoints. So I'm gonna start the video and uh, we'll go from there. All right, John, we're gonna stop it there. And uh, are you blurring the faces out? Uh, no, or, I'm not. Uh, it... um, nope. Okay. Nope. Those were uh, those were blurred out. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to step back into the video, but just sort of from an 800 foot view, uh, watching this. What are you What are you witnessing? What stands out here? Oh, that looked like a high school fight. It looked like uh, four or five on one. It looked like. Uh... It might have even been racial, white versus black, and it looked like uh, the mob mentality was taking over because more and more were joining the fun. Yeah, yeah. What we have here is a woman who had um, there was she was in a park, and she was with uh, she was witnessing a group of kids that were between the ages, and the report is that they were between the ages is like around twelve and fifteen, so they're minors. The video is actually from Canada. I believe it's from the Saskatchewan area. And uh, it was in a low-income neighborhood. Um, the woman was witnessing the children throwing rocks at an elderly man. And uh, in this report, she explains how she went over to the, the, the main kid. And, of course, there's always going to be that main ringleader. And told him to stop and that she was going to call the police because they were throwing rocks at an elderly man. Uh, the child responded by trying to grab the phone uh, and then struck her. And then they, you know, she tried to, of course, fight for her phone because the kid was trying to take the phone from her. And then it continues to escalate where another kid joins in and another kid joins in and another kid joins in. Uh, so that's, the, uh, that's how kind of things rolled out. How should that have been handled? And what's your opinion of stepping into that? Because there's a question, couple questions I have here in this first phase before anything went hands-on, before this kid responded. But while this woman witnessed these kids doing that, what would have been, I'd like to maybe, maybe deconstruct this in two different directions. I'd like to know what your response would have been if you could have rewound to when, uh, you know, when you were, maybe, you know, off the clock, maybe at the park with one of your kids or walking the dog, what would your response have been? And then I'd also like to know what you would have coached this woman uh, to have done in that situation. It's, uh, I'll go along with that. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the park with my kids and I see, you know, a bunch of young punks throwing rocks at an old guy. 
if I'm armed, I'm walking up to them and telling them to cut it out. And when they try to surround me, I'm going to pull my gun out or I'm going to show it. I'm going to show the butt of the gun. I've done that before where I've gotten, I've seen a, a cast of characters. I was in Brooklyn with my family and I mean my, my elderly parents and my kid and my kid's sister walking down a block and I saw a bunch of same kind of people coming at us. So I actually shepherded my whole family across the street just to avoid a, a, a statistical probability. And uh, well, lo and behold, the pack of young guys crossed the street also. So I knew what their intentions yeah. were. So I didn't pull my gun out and point it at them because that's, you know, menacing. Mm. But when they got close enough to see, I lifted up my jacket and then they all stopped dead in their tracks and crossed the street because they didn't want any of that. So if I'm watching a, you know, a person getting pummeled with rocks, you know, I would probably tell the guys, cut it out. And just from my, just from my demeanor, those kind of people are going to know who I was or who I am. Yeah. You know what I'm saying now that lady, she doesn't have good situational awareness or, you know, got too emotionally connected to it because, you know, you're approaching a group of thugs. That's what yeah. they are. I don't care what, I don't care what age they are. They're, they're thugs. And that was stupid. She should have just got on her phone, called 911, grabbed her kid or whoever she was with and walked yeah. away. You're in a situation, I like how you stepped into how you kind of redirected your family across the street. Um, I was in, before you saw this video, I was in a discussion with someone else who has a small baby and a wife. And one of the things that really interests me is when sharing this, there's always going to be the, oh, well, this is what I would have done. I would have done this. I would have done that. But the reality is, is when you're in that situation, confusion sets in because even someone who may be skilled, someone who's strong, maybe the alpha type who's, you know, if they were by themselves, they would run right in and, you know, even maybe even take the rocks for the old man. Um, but when you have a wife and a baby and you're just at the park enjoying your time, your, your decision-making process freezes up and well, the priorities, the are, priorities different. are different. And the interesting thing is that gap, is that time frame, right, where you're like, oh, shit, I don't know what to do. Do I get my, do like, uh, 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 and in that time, this is this has already run its course. And that woman's already been, ha or that, that old man has already been hit in the head with a rock or whatever. So the the discussion goes into, you know, you you were able to, I think respond like that. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were able to make those choices, do that movement, redirect a group working in group dynamic of your family to a place, and then be able to make the choice to not pull the gun, but to show the gun, which are two completely different things. You were able to size up the threat before it even presented itself. I feel that that's all due to exposure, and it's a unique exposure that not you know that a regular you know, a regular day-to-day -day person or civilian or person who's not exposed to this, whether they be in first response, military, law enforcement, whatever. But being able to make those decisions and, and, and coordinate like that is due to exposure, right? Absolutely. That where yeah. even a, a, a martial artist, someone who's an, even an <clears throat> MMA guy or whatever, the variables are so different when they may have their family there and they're not in, and while a lot of people think and they step into this mindset of, Oh, well, this is what I would do. Or, you know, I'm prepared for this. 
the reality is you have an emotional freeze. You lock up and you don't know what to do because you've got these, you've got your wife or you get the kids or you, you like you, you go to a place of confusion. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on that. I was in the car with Amy and my son, who was a year old, and over by uh, Friendly's in Carmel. And here comes this guy running across Route 6. And here comes a sheriff chasing him. And I put the car in park and I'm getting the door. And Amy looked at me and go, what the hell are you doing? I go, what do you mean what am I doing? They're running the weeds. I got to help this guy out. And she's screaming at me. You can't do that. We have the kid in the car. Like she's, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you married the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm going, you know, but it didn't, it didn't get there because the cop already got, got the guy and it was all taken care of even before I got, you know, halfway across the yeah. street. But, you know, so yeah, it's that, that whole emotional freeze. That's, that's just, you know, that's your, um, that's stress, the real life stress to you. And if you don't prepare for it, you never really prepared for it until you go through it. But if you don't train for it, then you're going to have more of that. You know, I'm because of the job I did, I, like you said, I sized it. I sized it up when they were, you know, 75 yards away. But the way they were walking towards me, I knew that they were no good. So I sized it up. So you, the more space you have, the more time you have, the better. Yeah. You can make more time to make decisions, yeah. you know. And when it came over, then it was, you know, I can't run. I got, you know, 75-year-old mom and dad. I'm not running, so I'm, I, I also don't need to, you know. I don't need I don't need to willingly shoot somebody if I don't have to, right? You know, no matter what the media tells yeah. you, and uh, and so my best bet was I'm gonna show them what I got, and then if they go if they kept coming, well then you know it was game right. on, right? But yeah, you know, so I mean I don't know if I got off your your, your the question you wanted me to address, but you know, um, no, you did. I think we've you know I think we've determined it's one of the things that I always talk about. Uh, in this line of work that I do is exposure and really bringing your children to uncomfortable places, uh, whether that be in at, like in-home challenges, whether it be intellectual, mental challenges, or whether it's taking them into environments that you yourself aren't comfortable in. Don't play the superhero, but share with them that you yourself are uncomfortable there, and then together you're you get through it. And this constant exposure and and them being witness to the fact that challenging situations feelings fear can be overcome through this exposure it helps them to shorten those get those response gaps and it helps them to be able to um to be able to transition from courage to bravery and be able to step in from like you know i've got guts but guts in action is a completely different thing uh because oftentimes just having guts can mean to can can result in doing something but the outcome is bad you know right, and right. being able to to exercise proper judgment have agency over your emotional state in that moment have agency over your physical state in that moment uh it's a whole different thing and i, and I think we've established that you know in, in your case you know in the work that you did in an extremely risky environment that it was through exposure it sounds to me though like that exposure came through constant experience. It came through like ironing, sharpening iron, kind of like just hitting the anvil day after day after day, rather than going through some type of exposure training in the police academy in those times. Would that be accurate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the academy is the what they tell you. They tell you when you come into the you know the, the precinct, they say, "Take everything you learned in the academy and throw it in the garbage." Yeah. Now you're gonna learn the real job. You know that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 
John, the next thing I want to step into is, uh, so we have this incident and um, we see that the actual perpetrators here, and yeah, they're thugs, right? They're also children though, and they're minors. Um, this woman in an interview afterwards states that one of the reasons she didn't fight back was because I don't fight kids. And which is an interesting point to me because I'm, I mean, most adults are going to say that, like, I don't fight kids. I couldn't, I, I would have a problem hitting a kid. And when she said that, it brought me back to in the late nineties, I did, uh, you know, I did a, a number of years doing some personal protection training, some qualification courses some dignitary protection stuff and working with a, a high level of community in that line of work. And one of the stress tests that we did was determining the threat at a fast rate. And then you're, you realize that the person coming at you with deadly force is a 12 year old child. So it switches from like, okay, you're, you're, you're always rolling through these scenarios in training and the bad guy always has a mask on or he's a, he's a dude and he's got messed up hair or he's, you know, a biker. He's, you know, he fits this kind of whatever persona, but then you end up in the emotional freeze because your whole life you're told, you know, don't hit kids, bad guys hit kids. And now you're in this situation where you, you, you chemically lock up because you're facing a threat with deadly force, but it's from a small child or it's from an elderly woman or it's from one of these stories that have created narratives that are very hard for us to, you know, shorten that gap and move right into quickly to eliminate that threat. In this situation, this woman said, I just don't fight kids. And as a result of that narrative, as a result of her not having that exposure that we've been talking about, uh, she gets she gets brutalized uh, in daylight, in a public place, by a group of children. How do you manage that? What do you? What, what, how would you speak to about that? And I'd like to hear, like, from you know, if, from both professional and non-professional. We get Steve, Steve, Steve uh, McDonald shot in the neck by a 12 year old, par paralyzed for the rest of his life. Anybody can kill you. Yeah. You know? So I think that, uh, especially the more you train, but, it, you know, if, you know, a 10 year old's running at you with a, with a, with a kitchen knife, you might think about it. You know, I'll, I'll kick it out. You know, I'll, 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 I'll use my skill, but, you know, somebody's got a gun or, you know, it's, it's, a little older. I mean, there's a four, there are fourteen year old kids that can kick my rear end. I mean, there's some big fourteen sure. year olds. They're yeah, grown yeah, men, yeah, of you know? right? And and they get they come at you with a baseball bat, and you got nowhere to go. I think that your survival instinct's going to kick in, hopefully, and you're going to pull the trigger, you know, or whatever you know what I'm saying, to defend yourself. It's sad, but it's, you know, it's you or him. Yeah, you know, in this training, one of the things that they explain is the brain is subconsciously going through a whole kind of rolodex of questions, and the more you can eliminate those questions and work on, you know, judgment and response, the better. Um, you're asking questions like, you know, can I shoot this kid in the leg because it's a child? So you've got like these sympathetic questions that you're trying to really determine, and that's where you know that's where you're freezing up. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a mess. I mean, it, this this. This also brings out the conversation of, and, and I know that you're uh, kind of like touching on it, is, you know, 
you're walking through the park and you see this woman getting beat up. So you're going to step in? Bystander. Right. So you're going to yeah. step in. You're gonna you're gonna step in and you're gonna push one of these twelve year olds off the off the lady, and she's in that twelve year old is gonna trip and crack his skull open on the curb and die. And guess what you're yeah. gonna do? You're going to jail. Yeah. So you open up huge cans of worms, you know. So that's and, and this is such a legacious society. Everybody's talking about brain freeze. They brain freeze because the first thing they're thinking is, "Am I gonna get sued for this? Am I gonna lose my yeah. house? That kind of stuff." And it's it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. So you get, you know, it's not, uh, it's, you know, but as a, yeah, I mean, I'm going to guarantee that 99%, if not every single one of those assailants has no father at home. Mm, Interesting. You know, so when you step, it's not interesting, it's the truth. And when you step, if you step in there, actually, if you stepped in there and you started slapping a couple of these kids around, they'd be the first father figure they ever really had. And they might actually like line up and start listening to you. I mean, it's. What are you going to do? I wouldn't know what exactly what I would do. Like, is he, like you said, it's easy for me to say, oh, I would have done this. Yeah. I would have been, I'm the, I'm the alpha male dude. Yeah, who knows? You don't know. Yeah. Depends on you know, how much sleep I got that yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that, that does go into the next part of the discussion that I wanted to have, which is uh, the bystander. You, you know, there's, before we go into that though, the group, let's, let's, let's go through the video again. And, sure. Um, so as you can see, we have a kid here in the gray over in the over in the top right and the kid in the black right there. The two kids yeah. that walked off the screen to the top right. They're watching, but they're not doing anything. And then you see this other boy who's walking in with a black T-shirt on, and he's just watching with mm-hmm. both fists clenched. Right. You have in this, there's three kids who actually strike multiple times at this woman. There's one kid who strikes once. The report said that there were five kids that assaulted her. So whether it was you know off camera or at a different time, I don't know. But there are a group of kids uh, who are standing by watching. Um, you know, I want to I want to kind of talk about that because in my training, in the work that I do, is I try to make sure that dads understand that there are really three victims here, and. I think I know what your how your response is going to be, but at the end, there you know if we look at these kids as children and not and, and they are like I get they are following a thug mentality. They have been programmed, conditioned. We can go you know up their front and down their back with reasons uh, for this outcome, but at the end of the day, you know a twelve year old kid is still in very much in in his development. Uh, has he witnessed trauma? Has he been exposed to, you know, thug life? Has inter- the entertainment industry pumped him and made him complacent with ultraviolence and the acceptance of being doing this to some innocent woman? Uh, do they see this at home? Uh, is it because uh, it's extremely low income and they just have nothing better to do? Whatever the reasons might be. I'm still of the mindset that if you pull one kid out of this and put them in a completely different environment, you still have time to save them. Uh, and where I'm trying to go with that is you've got really three victims. You've got this woman. She's the main one because she's getting beaten. And then you have these kids who aren't doing anything but are struggling with this in this moment. Do I get involved and will I be excluded from the pack if I don't get involved? If I do get involved, I don't, 
I do not want to hurt this person. Uh, and they struggle with that choice. Um, but, but inside that freeze, inside that emotional freeze, they're witnessing a human getting, getting in front of them as a child, witnessing a human getting beaten. Now, whether they see that at home already or whatever their exposure is, I feel that that is still going to create an imprint in them that they're going to remember for the rest of their life. Each one of these kids that are here, they're going to remember this. This isn't going away. And whether or not it affects them, it's going to affect them all different ways. Some it may not affect too much. Other, they may be leaking out sideways for the rest of their life. I don't know. But regardless, there's some degree of trauma that's happening here and, and some you know, self-inflicted victimization, whatever you want to call it. And then, um, you know, the third outside of the bystander is going to be the kid himself. And, and I always say that, um, a, you know, in many ways, a bully is a victim. A bully is a victim of whether it's, you know, their outcome and what they're doing. They're a victim of their own parenting. They're a victim of their own uh, cultural acceptance of this bullshit. They're a victim of lack of accountability. Maybe it could be at the school district level. level. It could be... Uh, in their neighborhood, whatever the reasons are, but there's no accountability, so they're able to repeat this behavior over and over again. And uh, I've worked with thousands and thousands of kids, and I'm pretty convinced that kid. I have not yet met a kid who truly likes to inflict pain and hurt people. I, I'm sure they're there, but I haven't met them, and I've worked with thousands of kids. And that's made me come to the conclusion that no matter how much of a thug these kids are, if they're still at the age where if you pull them out of this environment, you put them into a constructive, productive, and accountability-filled environment with male role models that will hold them accountable and female role models who will nurture them as they want to be nurtured at that age, then you, you would see a turnaround in that child. So it's tough, though, because they're acting just absolutely animalistic and vicious and just, you know, just swarming this woman. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we talked about the bystander, but let's step into, um, well, let's, let, let's step back into the video and tell me what you see as far as the, the kids who are on the periphery. Like, what are you, what are you witnessing there? Yeah. I mean, you get the main, you have the protagonist who's throwing the yeah. beat but then the, the other ones are given like light little kicks. Like I have to, I have to be cool and join the fray so that I don't get ostracized, but I don't want to hurt the lady from what I can see. But I mean, now she's off camera, so I don't know. You see this you one know? kid in the front, like, he's geez. doing nothing. And now he runs away the moment she gets to her feet. You see like this kid comes over, hits her once with a guy like the reddish shirt. And then this guy's gonna come over and give her like a little sidekick, but it's like to her butt. Like, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, punch her in her face and and that kind of stuff but yeah yeah uh, i agree with you adam that you know 12 year olds make mistakes yeah. and 12 year olds in ghettos make bigger mistakes because they have they have no leadership at home um you're talking about like talk about shoveling water against the tide that's yeah yeah you know yeah you're not that's it's a, that's an impossible task because honestly, certain community has to fix themselves, and until that happens, it's it's shoveling against it's shoveling against the tide. You mentioned the three victims. You didn't mention the real victim. The old man getting hit with rocks oh, was the yeah. real victim. All right, because nobody on this channel who's listening to you 
can name one single victim of Ted Bundy. I'm guaranteeing mm-hmm. you, not one person. Everybody forgets the victims. And that's wrong. See, so that's why I have a lot less sympathy for these guys because nobody remembers the old man who got hit in the head right, with rocks. Yeah. yeah, they didn't. And what's that's his a- just and what's his justice? These guys are juveniles. They're not going yeah. to jail. Right? So what's his justice? Justice delayed is justice yeah. denied. He gets yeah. no justice because of all the sympathy from the you know, whatever. You know, the, the court system is a joke now. So, you know, I'm not a well, whatever. Yeah. So I'm just saying that's don't forget the guy who was getting hit with rocks. hundred percent. So what's his? What's his? What's what's his? Recourse? Yeah, hundred percent. I agree yeah. with that, John. You know, un- unfortunately, there's no video of it, and there was nothing to review. Um, that was the that was the trigger right, right, right. for this. Um, but you raise a great point. What other victims? You know, I mean, are we looking at it holistically? And and you bring up the point of most of the stuff that we see. You know, and like I don't want to step into. The, I don't want to step onto this mine. But um, a lot of the stuff we see in law enforcement, we see a very sort of curated and edited video. We don't see what led up to that situation. Oh, you never and do, you never right. see what happened afterward. You just see the point of contention. Uh, and that's wrong. As someone who edits video all day long, um, you know, I would love to see the, you know, it, it's not on video, but what did happen to this old man? You're absolutely right about that. And was he hurt? Did he get hit in the head with a rock? Uh, what was the outcome? What were the long-term effects from that? So, yeah, 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 completely. I, I, I agree with that point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you could save probably all those kids with the right direction, yeah. but it's just way too many kids in the world, you know, especially in you know, in the in, in the in the in the ghettos, and uh, and really, I, you know, I don't think people want to do it. You know, what happens is you got to close ranks. got to make sure I got to, I had to make sure my kids grew up right. Yeah. You know, I don't have enough time or money to help some other kid. You know what I'm saying? I got to do my job for my family. Yeah. This, you know, there's a, there's probably a cultural thing here that I know I can identify with, uh, which is the, you know, later on in this, um, in this airing of this video on the newscast, there was, they interviewed, um, a native American and he was talking about the fact that the children have nothing to do and they become very like just static and idle uh, and they that creates anxiety and depression and they of course you know the story i mean better than i do regardless of what these playgrounds regardless of the color of skin or culture it doesn't make a difference whether it's in you know the trailer parks in the midwest whether it's in the ghettos uh you know of the of inner cities or whether it's on on the reservations um, children who are idle, children who are idle, uh, and and not doing anything, don't have the resources that they need to be able to uh, expand or you know be productive. It's the old saying, Adam: an idle mind is the devil's mm, workshop. I like that. Yeah, it's been yeah, around a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but it's interesting how. Um, What, what, let's let me ask you this: What do you think the outcome for this woman is? I think next time she calls nine one one and walks away. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. You know, that's what for, for law enforcement tells civilians: you know, don't get involved, but be a professional witness. You know, if notice the license plate number notice the color of the of the 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 clothes they're wearing or 
something, you know, a tattoo on a, on a perp's face or whatever, you know, but don't get involved because, you know, you're not, you're not paid to get involved because then stuff How like do you that do happens. that though? How do you, um, when there's a situation where that old man is having the rocks thrown at him and there is the potential at any second that that man could be seriously injured, if not even killed by getting struck in the head with a rock, you, don't you have a moral and ethical responsibility to intervene? Uh, no, mm. you have a, you have, well, I mean, moral and ethical. Now you're talking about, you're talking, you're not, you're talking a lot, a different ball game. That's apples okay. and oranges. You're legally, you don't have to do anything. You know, these people are, are, if they're, first of all, I doubt they're huge rocks. They look like they're yeah. on a playground. So, you know, are they pebbles or whatever? doesn't matter. If somebody's, you know, uh, exhibiting deadly physical force, and you're not law enforcement. Your job is to leave. Yeah. You know, except if you, I mean, if you're Florida and have to stand your ground, but that's when it's directed towards yeah. you. You stand your ground. Um, you know, like I said, if you if if you care enough, you make mental notes about all the different parties involved, and uh, and then and, and then you stay, you call the cops, and then you stay. And if you really want to be, you're morally, ethically, you're bounded to go to the grand jury testify in front of the grand jury, go to trial, testify as a witness to the trial, and do the right thing for the victim. Okay, but so many people don't want to do that because then your name's in the paper and who's coming to your house and making phone calls and who's doxing you and all that fun stuff nowadays, you know? Would you even say that getting involved in the middle of that puts you at even greater risk of liability? Well, uh, well it depends on... I know it's... I know, yeah. What yeah, you're doing. But... You know, if you're getting, if if it's physical confrontation, yes, because you're gonna once some somebody gets hurt, you know, then they, they, you get sued and all that garbage. It's just, you know, but you do have, I mean, in New York State, you do have a right to use, you know, force. Any person in New York State, not just law enforcement, can use deadly physical force for five right. different reasons. Okay, and they are to prevent yourself or somebody else getting killed. Doesn't matter how they're being killed, but if there's somebody gonna, you know, is gonna be killing somebody in front of you, you're allowed to use deadly physical force to stop them. If there's a kidnapping going on, you're allowed to use deadly physical force to prevent or or stop it. Robbery, rape, and then the last one's very funny. To stop a suicide, you can use deadly physical force. Okay. <laughs> well, only because if somebody's gonna jump off a building, uh, say a skyscraper, they're gonna land and kill somebody. So you can actually shoot them, and hopefully they fall the other way, or whatever. But so you're allowed to get involved, and you'd be, and you would be justified. But that doesn't stop anybody from suing you yeah. nowadays. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? So, but whatever. You know, I mean, so you 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 are. You know, if you're a if you're a bus driver, you can use deadly physical force if something goes crazy on the bus and that kind of thing because you're uh, you're in charge of a of a um, enclosed public space. But you know, it's. They don't want. They want you to. They want you to walk away because you're not trained in it. You don't have the right tools for it. You don't have less than lethal stuff. You know, call the cops. Right. Let them handle it. Have fun with that because they're not showing up and they're defunded when they do. So they don't have yeah, the tools. Yeah. Yeah. Different discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, one last thing. I know that there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, discussion around a video that surfaced right around the same time, and that was of and it was at a playground and it was of a. 13-year-old boy who had struck a, a, 
grown man who was actually a firefighter. And um, the boy was playing on a car in like, we don't know whether the car was owned or whose it was, or it was an abandoned car or whatever, but he was quite, the kid was questioned by this man, came over and was like, Hey, what are you doing on this car? The boy got, apparently got mouthy. There was some verbal altercation. The boy struck the man and the man took him down and sat on top of him, held him in place and called the police. Um, and this was around somewhere around the same time. And there was a lot of, lot of dialogue around that. There was a lot of dialogue in the, um, you know, in the, you know, on the, like, uh, on the topic of race because the fireman was white and the, the boy was a, a black child. And I don't want to get into that. I want to talk more about the age and, and, or that's not your, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what law enforcement is, allows you to do. And where is that fine line where if, a grown man came in and grabbed that kid who was the main perpetrator here, who was holding a woman, and broke his grip from her to help keep her safe, and even had to subdue that kid while taking a couple lumps from the other kids. A lot of men would think that that was the right thing to do, but well, it is the right thing to do, but it's that that that's you know nineteen forties thinking, yeah. and and because of the, the the breakdown of society today, that's that's you know. We can't go there. That's not the way. We, that's well, you can, but you're 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 setting yourself up for you know. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. No, it's sad because it's uh, you know, um, seems like it's very it's much more complex to do the right thing than it is the wrong thing. It's much easier to be able to successfully accomplish and get away with doing the wrong thing and being hurtful than it is to be stand up, uh, be engaged. And to help and protect, that puts you at much greater risk. Yeah, there was some some I don't know if it was a Catholic organization or some some sort of maybe it was the domestic violence organization, but they had this little blurb of a, like a thirty second commercial, and it was a, a son and a father, you know, like a, a grown man and like a ten year old, and they're in the, like a, a restaurant, and across from them is a, a young couple in their thirties or twenties, and the and the and and the and the male of that young couple is being abusive. Very abusive. And you see, like, they're like, the dad doesn't know what to do. He's kind of like just, you know, and the son's looking at the dad like, you know, what's going on? And then, you know, get involved. You know, stop domestic violence. And you're like, yeah, that's really sweet. That's a very, that's a very progressive, liberal idea. That's just a perfect world. You're going to stand up and you're going to say, hey, sir, you shouldn't talk to your girlfriend like that. Or, you know, if you, if you, if you grab her like that again, I'm going to have to, you know. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Yeah, okay. That's people that don't live in reality. Mm. Because what the real reality is, is you go up there and you say, hey, dude, man, stop doing, you know, don't wash your dirty laundry in public. F you, dude. He throws a swing at you and now you're fighting. And meanwhile, the woman jumps on your back. Yeah. Leave my boyfriend alone. Like, it's like, right. That's the reality. It doesn't fit the the liberal narrative. Like, people don't. They don't act that way. We're irrational and we're selfish and we're, and, and, you know, as beings and that's it. So that's the world we're navigating in. And now everybody has a cell phone. To yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, John, that brings us to the end of this episode. You know, first I want to thank you for your career, obviously. Uh, you know, I've done that before, but here publicly, uh, you know, in the, the selfless service that you gave both the city of New York and the people in New York state, uh, and then also uh, your 
your input on this video. And I think there was a lot of knowledge that was shared here. And we stepped into a whole bunch of different, um, whole bunch of different outcomes and circumstances and, you know, ways to kind of deconstruct this incident. It's just a, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing for the, for the old man, first of all, to be standing there on a nice day for walk in the park and then suddenly having rocks thrown at him by children. So, uh, I will be, um, you know, I will own the fact that, you know, you know, we should have given him more recognition as the real, uh, victim. Also this woman, uh, for stepping up and thinking that she was doing the right thing only to have all of that energy redirected on her and then be the victim of a violent assault by a group of kids. And then, you know, also these kids for most likely having to live in fatherless homes and not having that leadership. And Well, you know what? I want to say one thing before yeah, yeah. we close it up because this is the thing. Um, when I lived in Hillendale, it's a little, yeah, it wasn't gated, but anyway, um, we had a bunch of rambunctious young boys that were, you know, doing what I did when I was 14, you know, breaking mailboxes and, you know, just being idle mind, but not, we weren't vicious. Uh, and once in a while, we'd grab one of these kids, you know, me or my neighbor, you know, you find a kid like messing with somebody's lawnmower or throwing garbage, throwing garbage into the local lake we had. And when you brought him home to the parents, it's not my son. Wow. You put your hands on my son. You put your hands on my son. Don't you ever put your hands on my son. That's That in the crux is the problem. So talking to all the dads, when your 14-year-old son gets brought home to you by the cops or by a neighbor, don't stand, don't, don't blindly take his, his, his defense. Because guess what? Remember when you were 14 and you had a BB gun and you were shooting out windows and all that fun stuff you did when you were a kid. Your son's yeah. doing it too. And you got to and you got to stand up and do the right thing and make him responsible for his actions and and pay up whatever whatever it is. You know, my dad used to make me rake leaves at the old lady's house because I broke her window with a. I didn't even break her window. My friend broke a window with a with a baseball, and we all ran. And I had to a pay for the window, fix the window, and rake her leaves for a whole summer. <laughs> so, no, yeah, well, my old man, yeah, I was I, I learned responsibility, accountability for my actions, and so that's the problem is that nowadays parents. Because I think it starts off as they're afraid of being sued, but they, they refuse to admit that their sons can make mistakes. Uh, and their daughters too, but I'm saying in general, for, you know, for young boys, we all know, you know we're, we're idiots when we're 14. So I think that's the breakdown. That's the problem with society is that when I got brought home from, I got brought home by the cops once, all right? And my old man, he didn't even ask what I did. The only thing he asked the cop was, did he give you a hard time, officer? And, and obviously he goes, no. He goes, okay, I'll handle this. And he just grabbed me, and that was it. I got the smack of my life, you know. And guess what? I never did again what I had done. So, you know, that's lost. That Parents automatically, not my son. Not, no, yeah, it is your son because that's that's what they do. So that, that blindness is really what's – so if you can, you know, you, to your audience, dealing with your own kids and also, you know, uh, for your significant others, you know, remind them that, you know, little boys make mistakes. They're and supposed sometimes to. Sometimes they're, you know, they're, they're costly. Yeah. Well, they're supposed yeah, to. They're that's supposed how you learn. To. And if you don't let them, then so that's shame on you. Well, if, if, you, if you blindly defend them, then yeah. you're enabling them. And then they never then it, they never learn Absolutely. accountability. And then that starts with, uh, I'm never getting in trouble, so I can do whatever I want. And it's the whole antisocial behavior that kicks in. And, and then they get mouthy to adults. They have no respect. If they have no self-respect, they'll have no respect for anybody yeah. else. So they have to learn self-respect, and usually dads, I'm not saying moms don't, but dads teach you because you're going to respect your father. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's how you first learn it. Yeah. So, yeah. 
No, it's important. Be there for your kids. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. I look forward to having you on another one of these uh, episodes. A uh, lot of it. Hopefully I wasn't too no, scattered. No, not at all. No, you were uh, really on no? point, okay. extremely helpful. And uh, I'm looking forward. I've been telling you this for years, but I'm looking forward to your book, you know, the stories <laughs> from the streets, uh, because I've, I've, sure. I've had many beers over them and heard many of them, certainly not all of them, uh, but I'm looking forward to reading them. So I hope you get on that. <laughs> all right all right john everyone uh thank you for listening to this and i hope you enjoyed it i'd love to hear what your feedback is and of course i'll share those that feedback and any of the questions that you might have uh specifically with john uh, let's keep this discussion going and remember that uh, idle mind is the devil's playhouse uh once again john i appreciate your time and look forward to seeing everybody back here uh, whether you're listening or watching on close quarter dad and the special episodes of Point of No Return. Thank you so much. I want to thank you for spending time with us on this episode today. It's truly appreciated. I hope you got some value from it. If you want to go ahead and leave any comments or questions, reach out to me directly. I personally answer all of the questions that you have. If you know someone like yourself who may find value in this episode, then please go ahead and share it. We'd also like to ask you to subscribe to Close Quarter Dad. This way you get updated every time a new episode comes out wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you on the next episode of Close Quarter Dad.